from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. The world may be emerging from the coronavirus pandemic, but there is another kind of pandemic that we've been suffering from, especially in the last few years, and that's the pandemic of hate. And it too can be dangerous and harmful. On today's episode, we're going to talk about why it is so important to uproot hate, particularly in the times we are in now, and how we can start to do that. We'll look at the biblical story of Joseph and his brothers in the moment when they discovered important lessons that we can apply to our own lives. There is too much pain and suffering in the world, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's time to search our hearts and unleash the extraordinary power of love. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Vayigash, which means, and he approached, and it covers Genesis 44, 18 through 47, 27. This Parsha contains one of the most emotional sections in the Torah. We read how Joseph revealed his true identity to his brothers, who until that point believed that he was a powerful Egyptian holding their brother Benjamin hostage. The Bible tells us that when Joseph told his brothers, Ani Yosef, Odavichai, I am Joseph, does my father live? He wept loudly. We can imagine the amount of pent-up emotion that Joseph released when he revealed himself to the same brothers who had sold him into slavery 22 years earlier. Understandably, Joseph's brothers were terrified at first. Would their brother, now the most powerful man in Egypt, take revenge on them? But Joseph quickly put their minds at ease and told them that it was all part of God's plan. Joseph could have turned his back on his brothers, but instead of hating them as they had hated him, he chose love. He chose to forgive them for the past and move forward towards a better future. And that's the first lesson of this Parsha. If Joseph could forgive his brothers for what they did to him, certainly we can forgive others for far less harmful things. The small, petty things that sometimes drive a wedge between people. Joseph shows us that there's another way, a better way, the way of love. After he put his brothers at ease, Joseph embraced them beginning with Benjamin, the only brother who was also born to his own mother, Rachel, or Rachel, as you say in English. The verse I want to focus on today describes the reunion between Joseph and Benjamin. Listen as I read to you Genesis 45, verse 14. Then he threw up his arms around his brother, Benjamin, and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. Wow, I get chills just reading that verse. The verse tells us 
that when Joseph and Benjamin embraced, both of them cried. And there's something about it that just reading it today can make you cry as well. According to Jewish tradition, the reason why Joseph and Benjamin wept wasn't for the reasons we might think. They weren't crying from joy, from finally being together again, and they weren't weeping over the past for the years that were lost and for what could have been. Jewish tradition actually teaches that Joseph and Benjamin were crying over the future. When the brothers embraced, they both experienced prophecy. Joseph foresaw the destruction of the holy temple that would be built in Benjamin's tribal territory in the Holy Land. And Benjamin prophesied about the destruction of the tabernacle that would be built in Joseph's tribal territory. Jewish tradition teaches that the reason why God destroyed the holy temple in Jerusalem was because of the sin of hatred, the unwarranted hatred that people had for each other. Joseph and Benjamin foresaw that the same kind of hatred and jealousy that led to the selling of Joseph would surface again and bring a tremendous amount of pain and suffering to Israel. Hatred caused God to destroy his dwelling place on earth, and the world has never been quite the same ever since. The rabbis taught that as long as the temple is not rebuilt in Jerusalem, it means that our generation is still guilty of this sin, of sinat chinam, which means unwarranted or baseless hatred. And there is only one antidote for the disease of baseless hatred, and that is ahavat chinam, which is Hebrew for baseless love. What does this mean? What is baseless hatred and what is baseless love? Baseless hatred doesn't mean that someone hates another person for no reason at all. They may have plenty of reasons to dislike someone. Maybe there was a disagreement of opinions or maybe one person looked at the other person the wrong way. There could be a hundred different reasons to dislike someone, but none of those reasons are good enough reasons to hate someone. And yet, A person might choose to hate the other person anyways. That is baseless hatred. It is hatred with no justifiable cause. Baseless love can be explained in the same way. There may be no good reason to love someone. Maybe we are strangers. Maybe we even have differences. But I choose to love that person anyways. It's loving other people for no reason at all other than that they are created a human being. And just as baseless hatred is what destroyed God's home and led to so much pain and suffering, baseless love is what will heal our world and rebuild God's home here on earth. In the past few years, I think we've all seen what baseless hatred looks like. It's when differences in opinions ruin friendships and cause deep divisions in our society. But I want to tell you what baseless love looks like. It's something that I experienced firsthand and I'll never forget. About a week before my wedding, I flew home to Chicago from New York where I was in college in order to visit my mother and pick up my wedding dress. My plan was to bring the wedding dress back to New York with me so that I could complete the alterations and have it ready for my wedding. 
When I spoke to my seamstress in New York, she told me that I would need to come see her that same evening if I wanted to have the dress ready on time. You see, my flight wasn't scheduled to leave Chicago until the afternoon, but I found an earlier flight that still had plenty of empty seats, so I figured that I'd go to the airport and get on the earlier flight on standby. I rushed to the gate for the earlier flight with my big white wedding dress in my hands. I wouldn't put it under the plane and risk losing it, so I was running, running, running with it. And I walked up to the first flight attendant I saw and asked to get on the standby flight, the earlier flight. She looked at me and said, oh, wow, you must not know the rules had changed a day earlier and said that in the new rules, I couldn't board the plane no matter how many seats were left unless I paid a fee. She said the only way I could get on this earlier flight that was almost empty was to pay $400 in cash or in check. And my face must have dropped because I had neither. I tried to explain to her my predicament, that I was getting married in a week, and I wouldn't have a wedding dress if I didn't get back to New York in time. But she said that rules are rules, and there was nothing she could do to help me. So there I was, sitting with my dress, trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do. When a different flight attendant came up to me and said, are you L. Eckstein? I looked at her, I said, yes. And she said, someone in line heard your story and paid for your ticket to New York. You can board the flight now. Wow, I broke out in tears. I was completely shocked. And I didn't know any of the other passengers in the waiting area. And so I couldn't figure out who would have done that. I looked at the flight attendant and I said, you have to show me who did that for me. I have to know who it was. I have to go and say thank you. So she took me over to an older looking man and I just thanked him profusely. He told me that his son had just gotten married a few weeks earlier and that he was counting the cost of my ticket as part of the general wedding expenses. I told him that it's not that I didn't have $400. Thank God I was blessed that I had $400. I just didn't have the payment method that she needed, cash or check. I only had a credit card. And so I begged him. I said, give me your address. I'm going to mail the money to you. I want to pay you back. And he looked at me. I'll never forget it. He told me that he was paying forward kindness that others had done for him in his life. And that instead of me sending him the check, I should just pay it forward someone else when I was in a position to do so. That experience made such a deep impression on me and I try to pay it forward whenever I can. That man showed me what it means to treat a stranger like someone you love for no reason at all. That kind of love, baseless love, Ahavatrinam, as we say in Hebrew, has a ripple effect in the world. It inspires more kindness and more love. It brings strangers together and brings hope and healing to the world. And it's this kind of love that our world needs now to bring people back together, to connect strangers and to override the small differences that are keeping people apart. I also know that loving others is not always easy to do. It's one thing to choose to love a stranger who hasn't caused you any harm, but it's another thing to choose to love someone who hasn't been pleasant at all. 
But it is specifically when we encounter people who are a little harder to love that we have to choose love, baseless love. Love even when someone gives us very little reason to love them. When my husband and I bought our house here in Israel, we bought it in a small town where most people who lived there had already been living there for 50 years. We were the newbies in town, and on our moving day, when the moving truck was in front of our house, I could feel the neighbors looking at us and wondering, who are these new people? I was excited to meet my new neighbors, and I hoped that we would make a good first impression. But soon after the movers started unloading our furniture, I heard a lot of yelling coming from outside. I ran out of the house and saw a neighbor yelling at the movers. And as soon as she saw me, she started yelling at me too. Wasn't exactly the warm welcome I was hoping for. My first instinct, I have to admit, was to yell back. But then I thought about God's command to love your neighbor. And I decided in an instant to choose love instead. I placed my hand gently on my neighbor's shoulder and I said, I would never do anything to hurt or upset you. I see that you're upset, but I didn't do anything on purpose and I want to fix it. So just tell me what's bothering you. Wow. As soon as I said those words, she completely melted. She changed. She calmed down and she said, I know I have a problem with getting upset easily, but the truck is in my way and I can't see. I'm sorry I was yelling. I looked at her with such a big smile. I said, it's so nice to meet you. I'm excited to be your neighbor. And we gladly moved the truck to a better place on our street. And the issue was solved. After that encounter, I learned that I wasn't the first person or the last to be yelled at by this neighbor. She really does get angry easily. But since that time, I've never had another run-in with her. Now, we have an amazing relationship. I chose love, and that led to shalom, to peace. Loving my neighbor led to peace with my neighbor when it could have so easily gone the opposite direction. Can you imagine if I would have yelled back at my neighbor on our moving day? We'd probably still be yelling at each other today. I am So grateful that God placed his word in my head to love my neighbor, the deepest wisdom, and it made life so much more pleasant for all of us. When we choose love, we mend rifts and create good relationships. This is true when it comes to our personal lives and also true on a global scale. The more we choose love, the more peace we will have in the world. But before we go any further, I have to address an important issue because it's not as simple as loving everyone on earth and ending all war. In Israel specifically, we confront this reality every day. We want to love our neighbors, but we also need to defend ourselves from life-threatening attacks. As Israel's former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu once said, if Israel's enemies put down their weapons today, there would be no more war. But if Israel put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that there is a time for everything, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It seems that love is not 
always the answer to our problems, even according to the Bible. Psalm 97.10 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. In Hebrew, that said, Ohave Hashem Sinura. But in Leviticus 19.17, we read, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. So which is it? Should we hate or should we not hate? I want to share a Jewish teaching that will help us understand the answer a little better. The Talmud records a story about a woman named Bruya, who was respected for her knowledge and wit. One day, a man came to Bruya for advice, and he told her that he was being treated harshly by a particular person, that he was praying for that person's destruction. He told her that he was being treated harshly by a particular person, and that he was praying for that person's destruction. Bruya responded by scolding the man. She quoted Psalm 104.35, which in Hebrew reads, Yit'amu chata'im min ha'aretz. In English, the verse is usually translated as, May sinners vanish from the earth. Bruya explained that literally the verse doesn't say, May sinners vanish, but may sins vanish. She told the man that he should be praying for his enemy's sins to vanish and not for the person to vanish. We don't want God to destroy the sinners if it could be avoided. We prefer that they stop sinning instead. We can hate evil and love people at the same time. And even when we hate, we can do it from a place of love hoping and praying that sinners repent and return to God. For people of faith who love God, there is a time and a place for hate. We need to stand up for the truth and take a stand against evil. Love is not always the appropriate response. But most of the time in our daily life, it is the right response. When we talk about the kind of hatred that is plaguing our world today and causing so much suffering, we aren't talking about the rare instances when hate is justified. We're talking about our day-to-day interactions with people who might think differently than we do, people who looked at us in a harsh way, people who aren't particularly nice to us or rub us the wrong way. Those are the people we need to love with ahavat chinam, with baseless love, instead of being quick to judge and quick to hate with sinatrinam, with baseless hate. When we can learn to love the people we don't automatically like, we can bring great healing to the world. I once heard an incredible story about the power of baseless love. It was told by Neshama Karlbach about her father, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. I've mentioned Rabbi Shlomo a few times on this podcast. He was an American rabbi who is best known for two things, composing soulful Jewish music and for his extraordinary love for all people, especially people that others found hard to love. Neshama and her father often took walks on the Sabbath around New York City where they lived. One Sabbath afternoon, as they were taking a stroll, Neshama noticed a half-crazed, drunken man harassing the people around him. Everyone started to flee in different directions, but even though Neshama tried to steer her father away from the presumably dangerous man, he ended up 
right in his path. The drunken man took out a gun and pointed it directly at Rabbi Shlomo, who, with his yarmulke and beard, looked obviously Jewish. He said to him, Your money or your life, Jew boy. Neshama described how she began to panic. It was the Sabbath, and Jews don't carry any money on the Sabbath. How would they ever escape? How would they ever survive? She was resigned to the worst and started to make her peace. But suddenly, her father kissed and hugged and held the drunk man. The man looked back at Rabbi Shlomo with a mixture of confusion and amazement. And then Rabbi Shlomo turned to him and said, My good friend, today is our Sabbath and I have no cash on me. Otherwise, I'd gladly let you have it. But you can be sure of one thing. No matter what you do, I'll still love you. The drunk man was overcome with emotion. He lowered his gun and fell weeping on Rabbi Shlomo's shoulder. And the rabbi held him in a loving embrace. I love this story because it demonstrates the power of love, the power of Ahavat Chinam. This story is about an extreme situation. But imagine the effect that this kind of love could have in our ordinary lives. How might we transform people and mend relationships if we are generous and forgiving? If we try to see the good in people and we reach out with love and kindness. I think that Benjamin and Joseph wept not just because they foresaw the pain and suffering that would come to the nation of Israel in the future, but because that suffering was so unnecessary. It didn't have to be that way. And in the same way, the pain and suffering that we all experience from the hatred in society today doesn't have to exist either. We can choose love. And every time we do, we make life a little sweeter and bring the whole world closer to the ultimate redemption. In Proverbs 10.12, we read, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. This week, let's choose love. Instead of conflict, let's focus on healing. Let's sow seeds of unity and friendship and connection. Can you take some time to pray for someone who you disagree with or someone you find difficult to love? Can you focus on the good points in everyone you interact with and overlook the negative traits? Or maybe you can help out a stranger with an act of kindness and spread some love around. Whatever way that you choose to give love this week, I know that it will return to you tenfold. When God sees how we love his children, he showers even more love upon us all. Shavua Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. 
Shalom and see you next week.